just turn in your Bibles, if you would, just to get ready. We're going to read a verse of Scripture. We're going to be moving around into different uh, passages of Scripture, but turn to John chapter 17. We'll be going into the Old Testament. We'll be then working our way back into the New Testament, a little bit back and forth. <clears throat> and uh, today I wanted to just, um, I wanted to start this, this series on why or the glory of the Lord, and specifically why. Uh, why is it that this is something that we want to talk about? Sometimes we talk about the glory of God, and ultimately we don't even really know, you know what it is that we're, we're talking about, what it is that we're discussing. Uh, and I recently really felt to preach on this subject simply because as I, I read, there was an Old Testament passage that we're going to deal with, not today, but at a later date, um, I, there was an Old Testament passage that I read that just jolted me in my own life. And then, of course, thinking about my role as the pastor of this church and thinking about what it is that we as a church need to be concerned about and what it is that we need to worry about as believers in, in God and believers in Christ, following Christ, I really felt like the Lord spoke to me and said, we've got to, you, I want you to talk about the glory of, of God and, and lift me up, lift me higher. You know, we live in a world where uh, people are looking for something tangible. And when you think about the glory of God, you think, is that something I can really, that's really tangible? Well, in the Bible, it seems to indicate that it is something that we can, as believers, experience that we can grab a hold of and have change us. Uh, a lot of times we look to a friend, we look to a neighbor, we look to somebody to help us through a particular situation, but ultimately when we get in, in touch with God, when we are in His presence, we can experience Him in such a way that we will be different than what we were an hour ago, two days ago a year ago, that God can so revolutionize our lives. I don't know about you, but there has been a, a part of me that has said and, and has been crying out, God, there's got to be a whole lot more to what it is that I'm experiencing and what it is that we as a church are experiencing in the presence of God. You see, it's really not enough for us to come into this building to take up space in our pew and look around and just say, well, is he preaching too long today? Oh, it so is. Time to go home. Come on, pastor. Wrap it up. You know what, brothers and sisters? I, I'm not here to say that we should have church for a long period of time just for having it. But we need to covet the power and the, the glory of God in our services so that when people come into this building, they wouldn't look around and just somehow say, well, just another little small church just trying to make it. But instead, they would sense the presence and the power and the glory of God that would begin to move within their hearts. Listen, it's not going to happen when we come into the building and we're just looking around 
looking around to see who's here or who's not here. It's only going to happen when we come in and recognize that there is somebody in this place who is greater than the person sitting in your pew and greater than the person sitting next to you, and he is the one that it's all about. I began to sense in my heart that God was really jarring me into a place of saying, it's time to experience my glory more and more. And, and I believe with all my heart that we need to, you know, sometimes the enemy comes in and he sweeps through with his deception and he begins to steal what God has for us. I, I don't know about you, but I covet some of the times that we have had in the presence of the Lord in the past where it is that we just free flow it in worship, where, we, where it is that we just we reach out to the Lord. And we're not worried about whether or not we're out of order. We're not worried about whether it is that something else is happening. Would to God that we would begin to have a sense of the purpose and the plan and the power of God in our lives. God, brothers and sisters, has so much more for you, but it can only come as we covet the glory of God. His glory is greater than anything that you and I could have ever, ever experienced. We need His glory. Apart from the glory of God, there is no glory of mankind. Now, I know that that flies in the face of a lot of what is taught in modern psychology in, uh, you know, that man is basically good that uh, even through the whole process of whatever people think about how we came to exist on this planet, there is no glory apart from the glory of God. Listen to what the Bible says. John chapter 17, let's read this one verse of Scripture that Jesus speaks in his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, and uh, he is praying this. This is happening quite literally before he is going to go to the cross. Uh, and die on the cross for the sins of mankind. But I want you to see what Jesus has said. The Bible says this, I have given them the glory, that is, his disciples, his followers. I have given them the glory that you, the Father, gave me, Jesus, that they may be one as we are one. It's an interesting thing that unity is closely associated with the glory of God. This is something I'm just throwing at you. This isn't even where I'm headed with the message. But I want you to see this, that unity is associated with the glory of God. When we are no longer reaching out for more of the glory of God, and we're going to find out what that is today. The whole purpose of this message is really to define what it is that I mean and I understand from Scripture of what the glory of God really is. But I, I believe with all my heart that sometimes when a church begins to splinter, when all of a sudden there begins to get this, this disgruntledness in people's hearts and in their minds, they begin to look at people funny. They begin to, you know, as they, the kids like to say, give the stink eye. And they, you know, all of a sudden somebody has done something that has bothered you or offended you. And now you allow it to come in and create an offense in your heart. All of a sudden, here's a place where the glory of God.
God cannot dwell. The glory can only dwell where the people of God dwell together in unity. Brothers and sisters, if there is anything that we must strive for as believers, it is to remain in unity. It is to stick together and to stay together because without it we cannot experience the glory of God. That has nothing to do with where I'm headed. But commentators have struggled with this verse of Scripture to really grasp and explain what it means in its fullest sense. But ultimately, the basic thing that we understand is that the glory of God is only found in Him and through a relationship with Him. It's only found in Him and through a relationship with with him what's more he doesn't want it to be hidden from us or the world you see he gave his glory to his disciples so that his disciples could have an impact on the world not that the world would have an impact on them Sad to say, there are a lot of churches today where they have allowed the culture to dictate to them what it is that they should or should not do and say and what they should not say from the pulpits. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, even in our lives as believers, we get all caught up in some of the cultural things that people throw at us as believers and as Christians. We get caught up in some of those things and allow uh, uh, the, the, the culture to dictate to us or society to dictate to us how it is that we live in the presence of God until finally it comes to a point where we are no longer impacting our society. The society is changing us. The only thing that should be changing us at this point is the glory of God. It is time spent with him. And if the enemy has robbed it from you, I want you to know you have every right to take it back from him. You have every right to say, God, whatever has has not happened in the past, I'm going to stop that at the moment, and now I am going to come to you. The enemy will be right behind you to say, you can't do that. Look how bad you've been. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, our survival depends on being in the presence and the glory of Almighty God. Our Christianity depends on the presence and the power of Almighty God. There are too many Christians walking around as if somehow they're just trying to sneak behind bushes as though somehow I don't want anybody to really know what I'm all about. Listen, brothers and sisters, society doesn't care about stuff like that. They want to see whether you're genuine or not. We live in a culture that is really clamoring for something that is real because they have found that in the higher education, the world of higher education... They're being thrown things that just confuse these young people all the more. They're being taught things that make no sense, that are completely illogical, that do absolutely nothing to bring them fulfillment and bring them help. And yet our young people are walking around being told, you technically have no purpose for being here. Is it it any wonder why there is so much crime? Say, well, we have laws to take care of that. Laws don't take care of it. Laws have never removed sin from a man's heart. Laws cannot remove the crime from somebody's heart. Laws can't do that. The only thing that can do that is the power and the glory of God. Charles uh, Ryrie, who is the author, if you've ever heard, seen the name Ryrie's Study Bible, 
uh, he says this. He says, what is the glory of God? It is the manifestation of any or all his attributes. In other words, it is the displaying. I want you to listen. This is so good. It is the displaying of God to the world. He doesn't stop there. Thus, he says, things which glorify God are things which show the characteristics of his being to the world. They are tangible. It is the showing of who God is to the world. Not in God's almighty power, in his omnipotence, his omniscience. Brothers and sisters, we're finite. I cannot get my head around his omniscience. I can't, as even theologically, get my head around the fact that God knows everything, that God is everywhere present, even though I believe it to be so. But my mind can't think that far. My mind and my emotions can't even grasp all of that. I believe it to be true. But I want you to know that there are characteristics of God like his love, like his mercy, like his compassion. That when you have spent time with God, those things are going to come through to a world that so desperately needs to see it. We don't need more Christians standing on soapboxes talking about how bad things are. What we need is we need people standing by those who are hurting, those who are weeping, those who are going through dark moments and they don't have a prayer in the world because they've been told they don't have any purpose. But I want you to know you can come alongside of them and you can say, but God has a purpose for your life. God has a plan for your life. But that can only happen as you and I begin to spend more time in his presence and experience the glory of God. Listen, I need, I need as, as a pastor, I need to tell you that in our services, we need to experience more glory we need to experience more of his glory. But you know what? It's not just so that we can walk out of, of this building and say to our friend, oh, wasn't that a great service today? Wasn't that just a great meeting? Wasn't God in that place? What, what, what purpose does that actually serve? It's for more than that. It is to really reach out to a lost and a dying world and to help you to impact those that you rub shoulders with, those that you connect with on a weekly basis, on a daily basis, those that you come in contact with. It is so we will be more like Jesus. Let me define it. Let's go into this and define what it is that we mean by glory. And if that's all I do, to, that's pretty much all I had planned to do today. And it is my hope that you'll grab onto this and be able to get a hold of this in your heart in some way. There is a Hebrew word. I'm not, I'm not going to say what those words are. We, you know, we might not know, know Hebrew. I don't. I don't speak Hebrew, read Hebrew. Uh, hopefully that'll be a deficiency I'll correct somewhere in the future. But there is a Hebrew word in the Old Testament that is used mainly for glory, the word glory. And that word means and can mean weight, like a weight. You see, recognizing God's glory in the sense that we recognize the weight of his importance is where it all begins for us. When we recognize his weight, 
we're recognizing his great importance and the fact that we are subject and need to be in subjection to him. In other words, we can't tell God what to do because God is greater. Now, listen, if I had a moment with... Uh, my state senator, or not my state senator, my, my senator, the senator from the state of Illinois who represents in Washington, I might say something, but my, I might also hold back a little bit just because I recognize that some of these positions, they tend to be great. They're, they hold influence, and they have this kind of weight and importance. Maybe it is you get an audience with the president or somebody like that. And, you know, quite honestly, all of a sudden, we have a whole lot of things rolling around in our heads that we'd like to say, but all of a sudden we find ourselves clamming up. Listen, I've been around people, men and women of God in my life, that, you know, looking back on my time spent with them, I think, you know, I'm such a dummy. You know, I, I should have asked more questions. If there's anything that you can do when you get around somebody that you, you know, you kind of hold in esteem, ask questions. Drive them nuts if you have to. Just ask questions because the more that you can gain from them, the more that they can help you. Now, I want you to know that they hold importance and they carry about a certain influence and weight. If that's what we esteem human beings to be able to do, how much more weight does God have? Imagine it for a minute. The glory of God is essentially his weight. Now, there have been times, and this has happened occasionally on a Tuesday night, where we begin to worship and we begin to praise, and then all of a sudden there is like this, this hush that comes over the building. And nobody moves, nobody says anything, nobody really does anything, but we sense the glory of God in such a way that it's like a weight. Not a burden, but a weight. We begin to understand that the glory of God is in our midst and that he is there to minister to us and to touch us. You see, we also come to grips with the fact that there are things about God that are awesome. I've already mentioned a couple of them, the fact that he is all-knowing, but we have limited knowledge, that he is everywhere present, but we are limited to time and space, that he is infinite, but we are finite. We begin to recognize God in his greatness. Listen, when you think about even the universe and the fact that scientists, most scientists believe that the universe is still expanding and the fact that God set all of that into motion... They call it the Big Bang, but he set it into motion. That God set it all going and moving forward. That means God is outside of all of that expanse. That God is bigger than anything that you could even begin to imagine. Brothers and sisters, we serve a God like that and a God who desires to touch you with his glory. Imagine the immense weight that he carries, the influence that he can have upon your life as you open your heart to him. You see, recognizing his influence or his weight, his importance, it is where we see his, the awesomeness of his goodness, his supreme justice, the all-wise nature of his judgment, the moment in our lives where we recognize that as our creator, he has the right to rule within our hearts, but in his love and in his mercy will not manifest his presence until we invite him there.
He has the right to operate and to take control of your life, but he will not do it until he is invited. You say, but I asked Jesus into my heart a long time ago. Listen, there's so much more than that. He desires to spend time with you, to be with you, to continually influence your life. But if now, after giving your life to Christ, you're living your life as though somehow God is no longer interested or God is no longer there, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what what kind of lives will we be living? What kind of influence can we have in the world? We have to say, God, I'm going to reach out to you. I invite you again. I invite you anew and afresh into my heart, into my life. Change me by your glory. Let your glory come down in my life and minister in such a mighty way way to me that I will impact the world. When you think about what it was that Jesus did when he came to this earth, follow him through the gospels. Follow his life a little bit, not just leading up to the point of dying on the cross, but notice who it is that Jesus confronts and talks to. That oftentimes he will talk to the person who is the down and outer. The one that the religious leaders say, we just stay away from those individuals. Jesus went to them, the tax collectors, you know, that they were rejected, the sinners. He sat down with them and he ate with them. But, you know, he didn't sit down with them and joke the same jokes as they had to tell. He didn't sit down with them and waste away time talking about nothing. He sat down with them and he influenced their lives. Why? Because of the glory of God in and through his life. Brothers and sisters, I believe the glory of God that he has given to us is so that we will impact those that we see and those that we come in contact with. You see, to understand the weight of his glory, understanding his glory in the sense of its weightiness is really summed up. Turn over in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. There are two verses of scripture that I want to go to right there. Hebrews chapter 11. It's really summed up by the writer of Hebrews. In verse 3. And then again in verse 6. The Bible says this. By faith. Verse 3, Hebrews 11. By faith. We understand that the universe was formed at God's command. Notice that. The universe. I was always captivated. uh, We'll get to the rest of the verse in a moment. But I was always captivated as a kid by space. I grew up. uh, And and in fact, I want to say I was about, I, I don't know, I think I was maybe two when the first man walked on the moon. I, I was, uh, it was, and of course, I don't remember that. I just remember then looking in the encyclopedias. You know, every home had a set of encyclopedias. <laughs> Not anymore. We call it the Internet now. Um, but, you know, I'd thumb through the books, and I'd see the picture of Neil Armstrong stepping down onto the moon for the first time. I was captivated by that. The fact that man could travel out into space, but then... As you go through school and you understand a little bit more about how big the universe really is. But then you read verse 3. 
of Hebrews 11 where it says, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. In other words, out of nothing came something. This is the one thing scientists cannot grapple with. Out of nothing came something. So where did the something come from? Who did it come from? Where did it come from? Well, Hebrews 11 tells us it's only by faith that we understand that this is the great and the awesome God that at his word, he didn't have to do anything. He didn't have to, you know, physically somehow he's immaterial, so forget about physical anything. But he didn't have to do that like what we would. We would have to get materials, matter, and we'd have to put something together. There was nothing there. It was just all God. And at his command, it all came into being. Brothers and sisters, that is the kind of power that God has that what was not, or what was, that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. Then jump down to verse 6. The Bible says this, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So we go from a God who made everything out of nothing. He spoke the command. It happened. It was there down to verse 6 where now when I come to this God, I have to believe first that he exists. That is the first step of faith, that God does in fact exist, but that not only he exists, that in this huge expanse of space on our tiny little planet, and trust me, we may think it's a big world, but it's really tiny comparison to some of the stuff astronomers have studied and that are out there. When we realize how tiny and insignificant we are, but the Bible says that he is a reward rewarder of those who earnestly seek him, that means his glory wants to come and to touch us. Brothers and sisters, the weight of this awesome God desires to be loaded upon your life. It will not be burdensome. It will not weigh you down, but instead it will bring you to a place of his glory and understanding a little bit more of his grace and how it can impact the world that we live in. We need the glory of God. If you're not getting this from this, I don't know what else to do. The glory of God, brothers and sisters, this kind of weight. I want you to know that he can bestow upon you the clout that you need to make a difference. We talk about people having clout. They have political clout. They have, you know, some other kind of weight and influence. Maybe an athlete, somebody who's done some amazing things in the NBA or whatever it might be. And we hold them in high esteem. I want you to know God can set you up with eternal clout that can change somebody's life and affect them for all of eternity. We sit around and worry about what kind of answers we're going to give to somebody if we can get into the word of God and get into his presence then it can be known that we are men and women who have spent time with Jesus it will be obvious that we have been with him 
a desire for the glory of God to fill this place, to fill praise tabernacle, to fill this building with his power and his greatness. I desire to see the glory of God in a mighty way. No, I'm not looking for clouds. I'm not looking for that. I'm just looking for the moving of the Holy Spirit in such a mighty, mighty way that when we walk into the building, all of the junk that we carried in with us, we can lay it aside and say, God is here. He is here to help me. He is here to minister to me. I don't need to carry this stuff anymore. We need the glory of God. We need his presence to dwell among us. And really, this pursuit of the glory of God that I'm going after really has to do with this definition. The presence of God dwelling with his people, abiding with his people. We see it taught in the Old Testament. We see it taught in the New Testament. Go to chapter John chapter 1. I've already referenced this verse of scripture, but I want you to see it. John chapter 1 and verse 14. John chapter 1 and verse 14. The Bible As John is writing this great gospel, he's talking about the word, the word meaning Jesus. The Bible says this, the word, verse 14, John chapter 1, the word became flesh. The word became flesh. And notice this, and made his dwelling among us. He didn't stay off in a distance. He didn't stay out there somewhere. Like the deists believe that, yes, okay, maybe God had something to do with the creation of the world, but he set it in motion and now has nothing to do with it. No, Jesus puts the deists all to bed. He says, no, you're wrong. I have everything to do with it because the Bible says here that he made his dwelling among us. And the Bible goes on and says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the father, full of grace and truth. He said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. He brings his grace when he looks at mankind and he says, I will take your place on the cross. You don't deserve my gift of salvation. But you know what? That's what grace is all about. Grace is, is his unmerited favor, though you don't, you don't deserve it. None of us in this building deserve anything that God has done for us. And yet he has done so much for us. He has done wonderful things for us. When Jesus came and died on the cross in our place, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, it was his grace. The glory of his grace began to shine upon mankind. And now we walk in that grace, the grace of God. Turn over one more passage of scripture that I'm going to read before we close. Ephesians chapter 2. Go to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. He dwelled among us. There are other scriptures that we could go to in the book of Acts as well that would show us and indicate that he did fulfill his promise to his disciples when he said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. But I'm going to send a comforter. I'm going to send somebody to help you. And he will dwell among you. He'll live not only among you, but he'll live in you. But he, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. The Bible says this. Consequently, Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 22. 
Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become, listen to this, a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit, do you see that? The presence of God desires to live in you. You are a dwelling. God, in his glory, desires to bring that glory into your life, to live in you and to be a dwelling where you can be impacted by him and you can also impact the world. Brothers and sisters, as a church, we are here to be a dwelling for the presence of God. And as such, we should impact the world where we are. When we splinter after this meeting and go our different ways, and we go to a job tomorrow, we go somewhere else, or we, we rub shoulders with people, that it is there that we are to sense the presence of God in such a mighty way that we can impact the world for Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, the presence of God, the glory of God desires to dwell in his people. I want you to know that God has so much more for us. God has so much more. Next week, the Lord willing, I'll get into more of this and we'll deal with some of the passages of Scripture where we'll see the glory of God actually coming down, ministering and changing people's lives, affecting people in such a powerful and a, and a mighty way. But where I want to go with this and where I believe that we need to go with this and to really grab onto this is that the glory of God is not just some thing that we can't even really understand, but the glory of God is where his presence comes and dwells in us and it changes us. This is really what, what, what Paul is talking about in Ephesians chapter 2, that we are built up as a body and that, he, that by the Holy Spirit, he seeks to dwell in us. Listen, if you're just satisfied with coming and sitting and, and you know giving your two cents, whatever it might be that you might give, if you're just satisfied with that, I want you to know you've got the wrong church. You got the wrong plan. I'm not satisfied with that, brothers and sisters. I'm not satisfied with us just saying, well, it's my church. It's where I just come and take up space. God is not interested in us taking up space. He is interested in us having an impact in the world that we are living in. He is interested in dwelling in us in such a way that it will change us first and then change those that are around us and have an impact on the world. I want us to stand together right now, and I want you to reach your hands toward heaven and begin to cry out to God and say, God, I need your help today. I want your glory in my life. I want you to come and to dwell in me in a mighty way. I want you to minister your grace and your power and your glory upon my life and upon my heart in the mighty name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, Lord, change.